Uh, hi, and welcome to this latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Dylan Bond. Dylan is Assistant Professor of History at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. He's a cultural and political historian of the modern Middle East and Islamic world with a focus on youth and young people in the 20th century. He's the author of an absolutely wonderful new book published uh, very recently, in fact, titled Winning Lebanon. And I'm delighted that he's here today to talk about that. So, Dylan, thank you so much for joining us today. Simon, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm a big fan of the pod and the, and the project, so it's an honor to be here. Oh, you're very kind to say so, Dylan. Um, I'm a big fan of the book, so I'm oh, really thank looking you so forward much. To, uh, to talking about it. But before we get there, I, I must ask, as I always do, what got you interested in, in the Middle East and, and in the scholarship of, of history and the Middle East more broadly? Yeah, Great. Um, so uh, as an impressionable undergraduate uh, in the United States, I went to a small liberal arts college, uh, Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio. Uh, I was a history major. I didn't really have a focus yet. Um, and uh, just as sort of a generic uh, history major who didn't know what they wanted to do, I decided to go to what I thought was the birthplace of history at that point of my career, uh, Athens, Greece. I went right. to Greece, you know, the, the birthplace of civilizations, at least according to the West, of course. Um, so I went to Athens, and uh, while I was there, there were, there were two things that occurred. Uh, I took a trip with some friends to uh, Cairo, um, actually around this time. Uh, it was around November, yeah. So... Went to Cairo, uh, and then also while I was there, I took a Middle East politics class um, uh, while uh, at, at uni there studying abroad. In so, Athens or in Cairo? In Athens, sorry. Right, okay. Yeah, in Athens. Um, so while I was in, in Athens, uh, took that um, Middle East politics class. Sure. So, in, um, yeah, when I was in Cairo, I mean, I was just blown away. I mean, I was uh, impressionable, didn't know much that much about the Arab world. I don't think I even knew, you know, now the phrase we know, uh, Egypt is uh, umbeldunia, you know, the, the mother of the Arab world. I, I had no clue at that point. Uh, so I was really blown away uh, uh, by Cairo being as large as New York, a vibrant city, what I thought was a very fun city at that point. Uh, this was in the early 2000s. Right. And, uh, yeah, just... Um, after that, definitely wanted to continue on studying the Arab world. In that Middle East politics class, uh, we got to focus in uh, for our final projects on a particular country. Uh, and I picked Lebanon uh, for what now I see is probably all the wrong reasons, uh, you know, conflict, violence, the war, uh, all these things that seemed sort of uh, exciting to a young, impressionable yeah. 20-year-old male. Um, but, uh, you know, realized, realized along the way through that class and uh, beyond, um, you know, just fascinated with the political uh, diversity in the, in the country, uh, the sort of sampling of different political parties along different ideologies, right, left, Lebanese nationalist, Arab nationalist, socialist, communist. Um, so I think even though uh, I, I maybe got interested in Lebanon for all, what I see is the, the, the wrong reasons now, I did um, quickly kind of learn that there were some really fascinating and uh, interesting sort of uh, things to focus in on. So that Lebanese interest has been with you for a while then? It has, yeah, since the early 2000s. I mean, I, so I was, an, I was an undergrad, um, uh, I was an undergraduate student during uh, the 2005 assassination of Rafiq al-Hariri. And that, you know, uh, the, uh, it was a huge international story at that time. So I think that was another thing as well that kind of melded uh, with, that, uh, with that study abroad in, in Athens. Gotcha. And, and taking that class in Middle East politics. Yeah, of course. So I must ask then, Dylan, before your, uh, your sort of 
trip into the Middle East and its its sort of rich history and intellectual um, context. What were you What were you working on? What was your your interest prior to that? So, um, and this is a, you're asking sort of as an undergraduate student. Yeah, I'm I'm just curious where the yeah. uh, the journey took you from. Yeah, yeah. So um, mostly. You're, uh, so I was history major, uh, and uh, European history was was definitely my focus early on. And actually, you're, you're making me realize some things that I haven't communicated in some time. Um, so I think it was as a uh, sophomore history major when we were doing kind of our methods class, and you had a final project. Um, I focused uh, I focused in on uh, French colonial history, uh, specifically of uh, Lebanon and Syria as well. Um, so that definitely that definitely played into an exploration through there. Um, but 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 also a little bit before that, um, European history during the late nineteenth century. Uh, sure. uh, what you know the late nineteenth century. Uh, science fiction I was interested in. I was also interested in sort of these conceptions of criminology, uh, criminology and how that was applied out towards colonial holdings in the late 19th century. So I, I think even when my interests more and more kind of Western and European focused, I was always uh, kind of interested in these relationships between, uh, as they would call it, metropole and periphery, at least from a colonial perspective. Gotcha. Okay. That's really interesting to, to hear. So once you've done all of this, um, post-2005, your, your interest in Lebanon's really solidified. What happens mm-hmm. next for you? Yeah, so um, as, a, as a history major undergraduate, uh, I did my capstone on uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict and the birth of the Palestinian refugee crisis, um, because like, I, I feel like many students of the United States uh, who uh, find an interest in the Middle East, uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict uh, and the issue of Palestine was, was very interesting to me. Sure. Um, so I, I worked, on a, worked on a capstone on that, sort of read the, read the canons of the Arab-Israeli conflict, and specifically as um, uh, related to the Palestinian refugee crisis. And, um, you know, it, I, as a historian, I, I like thinking about this a lot. I mean, it was, it was 2008. This was the height of the financial crisis, the global financial meltdown. And uh, I was seeking graduate training because uh, the idea of actually having a job right then uh, seemed very difficult. <laughs> um, so I obviously had an interest uh, in history, in Middle Eastern history, but also pressures uh, to maybe kind of uh, avoid the job market for some time <laughs> and uh, do graduate training. So um, that's when I decided to pursue my master's in Middle East studies, applied to a bunch of different places, and, and was happy to, to complete that uh, at the University of Arizona. Amazing. And then you went straight into, into further graduate studies, or was there... Was there something else in the way in the middle? No, I was actually uh, right through. Uh, there was a little stint in um, in Beirut. I worked for um, I think it's now called the Malcolm Kerr uh, Center. Uh, ah, yes. uh, at Beirut, yeah, I'm sorry that I'm butchering perhaps the official name, uh, but I worked at the yeah, the Carnegie Center in Beirut uh, for a summer. Actually, I think that was the summer of 2009. Right. Uh, um, so this was pre-Arab uprisings, um, but um, yeah. So and that I did was your that first in between... time in Beirut, was it? Um, let's see. 
No, and no, it wasn't. Uh, so I, I did a language training at the uh, Lebanese American University uh, the summer before that. Right. Okay. Uh, which was, that was actually the summer of 2009. I apologize. And then the summer of 2010, after I finished my master's, was when I worked at uh, um, the Malcolm Kerr Center for, uh, or the former Carnegie, or Middle East Center, I think was the name for Carnegie, uh, summer of 2010. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah. then, and then, having yeah. spent all that time working on and reading about Lebanon, what were your what were your first impressions actually landing in in Beirut? So yeah, I I think actually first uh, when you when you uh, when you when you land in Beirut and you come from the airport into the city, I think it's I think it's the built environment uh, that definitely uh, uh, drew my attention immediately. Yeah. What I mean by that is you know all of these high rise apartments, skyscrapers, and, and downtown Beirut. I think that that really really draw uh, drew me in the way that um, you know I think at that point uh, I would like to think that I wasn't uh, naive enough to think that you know this wouldn't be a big urban center. Uh, but just to kind of see that, I think that was a huge impression. And then also the Mediterranean. Uh, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, I'd seen the Mediterranean in an earlier iteration in Athens. And speaking of such, I thought that they were similar cities and kind of their design, the way they were, uh, the way they were laid out and the way they looked at least entering. Um, so yeah, I think those were, those were the first impressions. Definitely the built environment and the sea really drew me. An interesting juxtaposition there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let, let's go on to your um, your more more recent work then for the PhD, which obviously then turns into the book. Uh, yeah. You do your time in Beirut. You do your summer working, uh, mm-hmm. and then you go into your into your grad study. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. What was it that you set out to do at that point? If I'm right, it was a little different from from the end product of the book. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the first, uh, like many many students of Lebanon, was fascinated by the Lebanese Civil War. Uh, how did uh, this country that was sort of at its peak of political diversity and openness in the 60s and 70s, um, for lack of a better word, devolve uh, into into civil war? That really interests me, and that is why I wanted to focus on a set of political parties, populist movements, come militias uh, in the early phases of the war. Uh, And uh, my my guiding research question was definitely like, how do we how do we get if if we take a group like uh, the Kataeb organization, for example, uh, in Lebanon, um, how do we get from scout movement to militia? Was like my basic my basic question. Sure. Uh, And um, so you know, in that I was very I've always been interested in the early history of these groups, but always as sort of a justification for how do we get uh, to the first uh, phase of the war. Um, so yeah, the, the dissertation, uh, so um, I, w- I was always interested in that question, and the dissertation really focused in on um, 75 to 76, uh, the early early years of the war. And um, I mean, a lot of the arguments from this book that focuses on the 20s to the 50s are kind of found there, but but an early, earlier iteration of them. Right. Okay. It's interesting hearing you say that, because thinking about that evolution of a group, yeah. it strikes me that looking at it as a historian would give you a certain angle, but, but it also, it, it evokes questions about social movement theory and, and yes. the evolution of, of groups in that way. So, I mean, I should say perhaps that your book uses some some wonderfully fascinating um, political theory, uh, Pierre Bourdieu, for instance, um, mm-hmm. and you're a historian. So 
Why did you choose to look at things in a historical way when perhaps you could have traced the evolution of these groups using a more perhaps conventional social movement, sociological type of approach? Yeah. So I think, so going back to my training a bit, uh, my, my training is in Middle Eastern studies. It's interdisciplinary. Uh, and my, my advisors were anthropologists, sociologists, political scientists, and right. historians. Um, so I definitely, I'm most comfortable with the historian cap now, but in terms of my theoretical interests, I see them as interdisciplinary, broad, uh, and whatnot. So I think that's why um, these theories uh, really, really impact my work and, and still do, even if over time I've kind of uh, really um, uh, become to define myself more as an historian first than just, say, a scholar of uh, the Middle East. Beyond that, I think um, what I've what I've noticed about these 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 groups, which I call popular organizations, we can re, we can refer to them as social movements, political parties, what whatever it may be. But this host of groups that I look into, I find that their actions in the Lebanese civil war of violence as sort of uh, militias are always projected onto their past. Uh, that is to say that the scholars that were working on these organizations as political scientists, as sociologists, and even as historians, 70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera, um, took what they saw in the 70s and 80s with these groups as militias and kind of projected it onto their past, path, uh, past as if it was a linear Path sure. from, okay. uh, from from you know uh, from sub militia to militia, uh, so that's why I really wanted to focus in on this historic this historical period of the 20s and 50s, and as a historian looking into the past of these organizations, to ask myself: Is this projection actually the case? Uh, where are the roots of struggle and, and violence in these organizations? Uh, is it as simple as these scholars have brought up, or, or is there more complex story to tell here? So and obviously, a, I lean towards the lean yeah. towards the latter there. <laughs> yeah, of course, and that certainly comes out in the book. I should say. Um, I should just just remind people that the, the full title of the book uh, is "Winning Lebanon: Youth Politics, Populism, and the Production of Sectarian Violence, 1920 to 1958," with Cambridge, um, which we'll go on to in, in more detail in a minute. But it just strikes me that. What you're doing then, Dylan, is is rejecting this path dependency approach that's been imposed on on groups leading up to the civil war. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, that is that is that is uh, that is the, the the main main approach here, and and something that um, I think that I definitely in an earlier uh, creatoration kind of kind of fell into. Um, but uh, and yeah, and it, this is where I think this conversation is going to turn towards uh, sectarianism because not only has uh, this, this, the violence that was manifest in the seventies been projected onto the early history of these organizations, but the supposed sectarianism of the 1970s was projected onto these early phases as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what I found particularly fascinating because not being a historian or, or an expert in this particular period, I think my, my views of it were, were conditioned in some way by the, the broader discussions around this time period and the groups that went on to then become the militias. And so you've got this sort of this latent sectarianism that becomes manifest, or at least so the argument says, I think. Mm-hmm. But then what your book does is, is in a really interesting and, and wonderful way, is, is sort of tears that up and, and challenges that by looking at the the complexity of, of identity, of youth, of populism, and the interactions of all of those, rejecting the, 
the initial sectarian labelling of, of some of the groups, even though they may have been grounded within particular sectarian cleavages, if you will. Absolutely. So maybe, uh, Dylan, it might be useful just to, to get you to elaborate the perhaps the main argument of the book then. We've sort of been, been skirting around it, but maybe yeah. if you could just set out the, the main argument from the 20s. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it is uh, the argument uh, is is threefold, and it, it all focuses on these 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 youth mo- what are, youth movements, social movements, which I refer to as popular organizations. Which I could break down that term a little bit later uh, if necessary. But that these groups that I focus on in the book, and there's about uh, seven uh, of them, uh, were um, you know they really matter in the making of the uh, history and politics and culture of the modern Middle East during this uh, time period. And they, and they do such in, in three ways. Uh, one is uh, they played an integral role in uh, this discourse and practice, practice of populism. Yeah. And I define populism very simply as this idea of the people versus the elites or the youth versus the zoama, to use a uh, Lebanese term, this idea of the elites. So that these groups were kind of integral in these politics of uh, populism and really, really popularized that. Um, second is that they played a major role in the political uh, socialization of new categories of youth. So a lot of these organizations, for those who know uh, the history of Lebanon, who have studied groups like the Kata'ib, the Progressive Socialist Party, the Najad, the Syrian Social Nationalist Party, etc., they started off as predominantly urban, middle class, and male. Uh, but I argue that they played a huge role in the uh, political association, so, socialization of youth beyond those categories. So incorporating uh, young women incorporating rural populations, incorporating the urban poor, and even the diaspora. Um, So that is the second aspect of the uh, argument. And where it it turns more to this this question of what is sectarianism, what is sectarian violence, I argue that they played an integral role in the production of sectarian violence. Uh, And um, I'll leave I'll, I'll leave it I'll leave it at that because I feel like we'll need to unpack that a little bit more because that's the argument that uh, definitely needs the most unpacking. Sure. Well, before we get there, I I must pick you up on this use of populism, um, the yeah. term that's been been thrown around a lot, obviously in light of um, events that have been going on over your side of the pond. So yeah, absolutely. What's, um, what's your understanding of populism, and then perhaps how does this idea of populism play out? in a society that has so many different communal cleavages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, first off, uh, my understanding of populism uh, largely comes from the work of political philosophers, um, political scientists, and, and, and sociologists as well, uh, the work on this term, and, and those that definitely focus on populism as a uh, discourse. Uh, I'm not denying that populism is, is an ideology or movement. I think it is those things as well. But that it is a, it is a worldview and it is a discourse that divides uh, the world into us versus them, or in the particular case that I am looking at, uh, the people, al-Shab, uh, versus the elites, or the elites that are supported by colonial powers in the 1920s to 1950s, uh, or the youth versus those those elites. So really focusing on the discursive elements, and although um, theoretically speaking, pull from those, uh, those scholarly trends I was just uh, talking about, 
Um, there is a pretty rich tradition uh, in the last, let's say, 20 years of historians of the modern Middle East uh, focusing on populism. So I'm thinking of the work of Jim Gelvin, Divided Loyalties, which mm -hmm. has been really, really um, uh, foundational to my work. And he also, as an historian, uh, uh, employed Bordeaux to kind of talk about uh, discourses and practices. So that was huge. And then the work of Orit Bashkin as well, uh, the other Iraq, uh, who uh, deals with populism or what she often calls peopleism, uh, this, this aspect of kind of being people and uh, utopian focused. So um, these are definitely um, some of my some of my main influences, uh, theoretically and historically speaking. And in terms of how it plays out in, in Lebanon, this is, where, this is where the title comes into the book, Winning Lebanon, that these groups are attempting to win Lebanon in their own image, their own populist image, this idea of who the, the us is. And uh, it's definitely not uh, uh, always or even predominantly sectarian, but sort of our vision of a particular a particular uh, ideology, a particular worldview, uh, and then also trying to get, because um, in terms of this winning Leban uh, Lebanon, I see it about three different ways. Demographically, uh, that these organizations are trying to get more young people into their organizations. Symbolically, they're trying to win Lebanon in their own populist vision. And then politically, uh, for sure, this idea that they are actually in the context of the 1940s and 1950s as the independent Lebanese state solidifies are trying to gain uh, uh, the reins to official political power and unofficial politi political power as as well. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely how I see this this kind of playing out in terms of a society like Lebanon, where they are trying to win Lebanon in their own image. And as we know, the title from um, Kamal Salibi, a house of many mansions. You know, there are many Lebanons. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, as somebody actually uh, asked me recently in a uh, you know uh, who won Lebanon, you know, the, oh. and it, it's to right. say that. I use the Jaren form here because all these organizations wanted to win it in their own image, but of course did not. Of course. I must ask about about sort of the interplay between the different groups that you're you're looking at with regard to populism, because populism strikes me as something that has a, a broad appeal, a broad spectrum mm. of, of support, right? But if you've got populism within these particular communal groups, I wonder to what extent do those communal groups have interplay with one another? Because, as you say at the start, there's there's not necessarily this this um, sort of sectarian vitriol at play. And you talk yeah. about um, obviously spatial dimensions being being important, but there's also these other types of um, other types of factors that are that are underpinning what the groups are trying to achieve. Yes, absolutely. So this is definitely a paradox at play that I'm working in my group, working at uh, in this in this in this book with these groups. Um, so that you that if, if populism is, a, is an ideology of the people versus the elites, but there's all these different types of peoples and groups. How does this how does this uh, come to a head? Um, so in many cases, these groups visions of uh, the youth or the people actually coincided uh, and they would work together. Uh, you know, so like, uh, you know, a prime example that I talk about in the group is, uh, sorry, that I talk about in the book, uh, is where the Kitab organization and the Najade organization, that were both populist youth organizations, one being more Lebanese nationalist, representing uh, Christian uh, Maronites, that being the Kitab, and the Najade uh, being a, an organization that was uh, Arab nationalist uh, and largely represented Sunni Muslims. 
united uh, in the context of 1943 to, uh, uh, to, to uh, make sure that uh, France's colonial rule ended. Um, so this was, a, this was a point in a particular moment and momentum when two organizations that had kind of different brands of populism or different flares definitely united for this sort of common cause uh, of, of Lebanon as in, independent and anti-colonial. And they could agree, they could agree at that, uh, they could agree on that at that point. Uh, but in the context of the 1950s and the, and the, the Arab Cold War, the rise of Nasser, the United Arab Republic, these populisms uh, became a little bit more diffuse, uh, if you will. And there's uh, plenty of examples of this in the book where these groups these groups come together, whether it's uh, the Katab and the Progressive Socialist Party, for example, at one point almost uniting in the 1950s to form one party. Uh, it's a, that's one instance of the book, uh, two groups that were on opposite sides of the Lebanese Civil War and the 1958 war. So their populisms sometimes do merge, but then also do divide, given you know historical factors, social factors uh, that are that are that are that are that are unfolding. I mean, that's one of the things that I find most interesting in the book: the way that these these groups interact, the paradoxes that are that are sort of generated with all of that, and and what strikes me as sort of a nod to to what some people have called um, an anti-sectarian moment. I mean, I don't want to say mm-hmm. it's, it's de-sectarianization or post-sectarian, but the rejection of explicitly bounded sectarian identities in pursuit of a common populist goal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so uh, in, in in multiple in multiple shades and, and periods, these 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 groups definitely come together uh, with this goal, and that is, I mean, this is this is one of the problems that that I have uh, approached uh, in the literature and thought through. I mean, a lot a lot of these organizations. So, like I, I, the seven that I work on, three or four, kind of, they always have this sectarian signifier when they're described in the scholarship. Yeah. Maronite Christian, Sunni Muslim, Shia, uh, whatever it may be. The other the other four groups, um, you know, like groups like, for example, the Lebanese Communist Party or, or Lebanese People's Party. Was once known. Don't get those those signifiers. Are not given uh, those uh, those signifiers. So uh, that there was always a sectarian signifier that was that was given for these groups, and that that was counterintuitive to uh, national secular progress or development was the argument that would be would be given. Um, uh, scholars like um, uh, Stephen uh, Helmsley Longridge, Kamal Salibi, Philip Hitti, they so they sort of worked with this idea uh, and saw these groups as sort of. Uh, the fact that they had a group identity uh, that was, uh, according to sect, supposedly meant that they couldn't be secular, modern, or, or national. Uh, but these groups definitely didn't see themselves as such. And that's where um, I think the focus of, uh, of my book, you know, when, when, I, when I describe my book to people, I describe my research, like, it's always local, it's always bottom-up. Uh, I want to look at these organizations and how they saw sort of their coming together, uh, not that not the signifiers that they are given to. It's not to say that, uh, like uh, like you mentioned the leadoff, that um, you know, the majority of members of the Kataeb then and now were Maronite Christians. I mean, that is that 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 is that is a fact. But did they always see themselves as, as such, or did they always mobilize that identity, uh, or did they mobilize sort of a broader Lebanese populism that, in particular time periods, could link up with other with other groups? Of course, and I think that's that's so important to have that that bottom up focus, which you you stress very early on in the book. Of course, and um, Dylan, before we go into 
into a, a discussion about the evolution of, of some of these groups to taking on some of the more um, more violent characteristics in the Civil War. I must just ask about the the types of sources that you're using as a, yeah. a historian to to really tell those stories, the, the bottom-up narratives about how how groups and individuals within those groups saw themselves rather than having those labels prescribed onto them. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's... There's there's two well there's two factors here here to talk about in the context of Lebanon as it relates to my source work. Uh, one is the rich history of print culture uh, in Lebanon uh, and Bilad Vasham, the broader Greater Syria dating back to the uh, the 19th century. Um, so uh, in terms uh, you know there was just a rich history of of printing of newspapers uh, and uh, private. Ownership, either by individuals or organizations, uh, that would uh, that would push out these, I mean, largely low distribution uh, papers, uh, but nonetheless really important if you're looking into how the group conceives of itself. How does it see itself in the world? Who is it? Who is it speaking to? Uh, and uh, when does it allow individuals, you know, in the form of write-ups or whatnot, to actually speak about the group, not uh, you know only from the, the party center. So all, um, all well, six out of the seven organizations that I work at uh, work on uh, at, at particular times had an official newspaper. Uh, you know, the Syrian Social Nationalist Party, for example, I think had like 10 or 12 papers throughout <laughs> the 20s to the 1950s. So a lot sure. of different things to kind of look at there. But so these newspapers are really important places to look at identity formation of these organizations. And as I mentioned, these groups are trying to win Lebanon demographically. So they have a lot of uh, uh, they have a lot of uh, marketing material, if you will, uh, pamphlets uh, about their ideologies, about how they see youth in the group. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, um, I'm really interested in, um, uh, you know, especially in the earlier chapters when I'm kind of talking about how these groups conceived of their their identities, uh, looking at uh, pictures of, uh, of them, of members to kind of see what are they wearing, where are they hanging out, uh, and um, yeah, all, all other forms of, of popular culture as well. Um, they had, they weren't only uh, marketing materials, but uh, sites of building collective identities. So, songs, reading groups, uh, and the materials that would be passed around in those reading groups. Uh, a lot of these groups have um, uh, maintained these files, uh, even those that did not have official newspapers, and they have all uh, allowed me uh, access to these things, which has been quite helpful. Yeah, I can imagine. And it really comes through how rich some of this testimony is and how rich some of this data is in terms of of really challenging some of the, the stereotypical portrayals of the groups themselves which I think is, is so very important and so very valuable. And it, it's one of the things that I, I really love about the book, that it, it brings it to life, having this, this first-hand account and, and documentation of how, how individuals themselves positioned their, their identities. Mm-hmm. So it, it's wonderful. I should also say at this point, um, and I'm continuing to wax lyrical, but the book is written in such a wonderful way, Dylan. It's, it's one of the... The books that I've encountered recently that that just really is is so beautifully written. The prose is wonderful. It's 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 something that is very difficult to put down. And I really would urge people to to get hold of a copy of it. 
So oh, um, yeah, it's it's. Thank it's, you very much. I appreciate those kind words. It's it's excellent, and I, I'm a very big fan of it. But I must ask um, one final question, Dylan, if I may, and I think this is, as you say, it's it's a tricky one. But I think it's a really important one. But how did we get then from um, from this position where you had all these different groups who were operating in in a way that that perhaps goes against some of the preconceived ideas about what the group identity was? How do we get from that point to a point where they're involved in the the civil war with particularly strong, um, some might say, intractable identities? How, what yes. what's that journey then? Given you're rejecting the path dependency, yeah, that's that's great. So I'll explain that kind of on uh, on two levels. Sure. Uh, one is how uh, struggle and and, ru- and routines and kind of cultures of violence were were embedded uh, in these organizations from the earlier stages, um, and I think that's really important. And, and has not little to do with sectarianism, but it has to do with kind of how they could conceive of themselves in violence. Uh, and then uh, the other aspect is relating to uh, 1958 and how these groups uh, both described themselves in 1958 uh, and how they described uh, described uh, described their enemies and how others described themselves and their enemies. So starting off with uh, how struggle was embedded uh, with, with within these organizations, um, all of them had uh, in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, depending on when they were founded. Uh, had encounters and clashes with either the French colonial state or the Lebanese independent state. Uh, and uh, whether uh, whether they actually won these clashes or not in the street, of course, that is the way that they uh, they talk about it later, that these, that these um, you know, the, the phrase they often use or some groups use is ma'amadiyat ad-dem, which means uh, blood baptism. Like they literally refer to these clashes with the police or with uh, the French colonial state as a baptism uh, by, by blood. And, um, and they would, they would sit like, so for the, the Progressive Socialist Party, for example, one of the groups that I look at, uh, there was this, uh, it was called uh, Yom el-Baruk. It was in 1951. It was, it was a clash with um, Lebanese uh, security forces. And uh, I won't get into the details of it, but every year, at least through 1958, there would be a celebration yearly where these uh, these struggles were mentioned. The fact that Progressive Socialist Party members died would be mentioned, would be talked about, would be read about, would be dedicated about. Uh, and when when it comes to a very charged uh, uh, political environment in 58 uh, and 1958 and even into the 1970s, uh, whatever the political issues might be there, this kind of history of violence, as we can call it, and this culture of violence uh, could be mobilized uh, for sure. Uh, And these groups, even though I I did mention that um, they uh, politically socialized outside of uh, young men and young urban men, I mean, their foundations were still masculine and they could deploy a masculine sort of strength-based identity when it came to uh, these these confrontations and the fact that they had been involved in them. So that is the complete non-sectarian uh, 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 explanation for how they get to moments of violence in 58, uh, 58 or or seventy five. The the sectarian one, and I think that this is this is really interesting, is the way that these groups uh, in fifty eight or leading up to nineteen seventy five, which the book doesn't focus on, but I kind of hint to. Um, uh, describe themselves and others. So, uh, you know, describing of themselves, and this goes back to your earlier questions, they describe of themselves as uh, as for the people, populists, and all these other organizations, whatever they may be doing on the other side of the war, 
are sectarian, are, uh, you know, sectarian in sort of a backward sense, that they are, have narrow interests, that they don't care about the people or they don't, they don't care about the nation. Uh, and it, it's not to say, for example, that in the context of the, uh, of the uh, whether it was the 1958 war or 1975 to 1990, that the Kataeb uh, party did not um, uh, deploy sectarianism and identity-based politics. Uh, but being called such as well, breathes this phenomenon to life uh, and sort of uh, um, uh, divides that sort of, um, that populist vision of maybe unity that these organizations conceived of themselves at, uh, of at earlier periods. Amazing. I have so many more questions, Dylan. So many questions about the the repercussions of this data for discussions of sectarianism, of yeah. sectarianization, uh, about the evolution of some of these things, some of these groups during the course of the conflict. But I fear I've already taken a great deal of your time up. So perhaps we'll have to circle back and do a round two another time. Sure, I'd be happy to. Again, Simon, thanks so much for having me. It was a great discussion. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I really commend you and congratulate you on the book. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you so Do much. get hold of a copy of it if you can, everyone. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time.